Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and equipping, especially for pastors and teachers who are working on sermons, lessons, discussions, or what have you in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is DJ Freemeyer. Daniel is a friend of mine and a, a fantastic Bible scholar, and especially in the area of Old Testament and the prophets in particular. So he's an excellent guest to have on this week as we study Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, looking at verses 1 through 4, although we'll do quite a bit of uh, context work around that as well. But the focus text this week is Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 4. Make sure to subscribe if you are not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app and pass this show on uh, privately or through a uh, social media or whatever works for you so that it might uh, benefit others as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with DJ Freemeyer. All right, so Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 4, that's 1 through 4 in the Septuagint numbering, as we will comment on soon enough. Uh, would you like to read, or shall I? Uh, either way, go ahead. Yeah, I'll I go ahead and read, and would you say a word of prayer after I, I read? I'll do that. Okay, so I'm actually reading from, I've got this Tanakh, this Jewish Bible, JPS. JPS. So actually that numbering is also going to be an issue probably, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, so it'll be one through three in that. It follows the... Cool. So, let's start with this. For if there were to be any break of day for that land which is in straints, only the former king would have been brought a basement to the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, while the latter one would have brought honor to the way of the sea, the other side of the Jordan, the Galilee, of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a brilliant light. On those who dwelt in a land of gloom, light has dawned. You have magnified that nation and have given it great joy. They have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at reaping time, as they exult when dividing spoil. For the yoke that they bore and the stick on their back, the rod of their taskmaster, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Adonai, we are frequently searching for illumination frequently searching for light. And I thank you for your messages that direct us to the darkness, to help us see what is present even when we cannot see it. 
I pray that you would open our eyes, our hearts and our minds as we hear your message and help us to resist the temptations to withdraw to ourselves, to turn and look away, or to ignore what we have seen. In the name of our Lord, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that word of prayer. So, uh, well, right out of the gate today, uh, well, first of all, I uh, should tell our listeners that I initially gave Dan two different texts we might be doing, and then when I landed on... Not unrelated texts. The, yes, the Isaiah 9, 1 through 4, he then said, which text are we doing? And I was like, oh, we're doing Isaiah 9. And so he was just uh, reminding me the versification issues, yes. um, which are really common in the Psalms. That's where I know them. Are there lots of these throughout that I'm just not as familiar with oh, yes. these versification issues? In the in the prophets as well. Okay. In the Torah there are. Okay. Um but the in the prophets the English versions Hosea, often follow Hosea. the Masoretic text over against the Septuagint, but sometimes they case. don't. Right? So it's case by case, right? It's case by case. Oh man, yeah. So in this case, the many of the English translations will follow the Septuagint version, which breaks off the comments about Zebulun and Naphtali to chapter nine and connects it with the okay. the light that's coming rather than connecting it back to the gloom that has been given to this area. Yeah. In chapter eight. So it ends up being an interpretive decision. Chapter breaks often right. create sort of connections and distinctions between and passages. Part of the interpretive move is a connection with what the gospel writers see when Ah, they connect this area having been in darkness and having received a great light. Oh, and then that fits because we're in the, so this is the old Testament reading for the second uh, Sunday after epiphany. Mm -hmm. So it runs uh, no third Sunday, excuse me. So like epiphanies, like after the, epiphany of the magi then the the sundays kind of go through the beginning of christ's ministry mm-hmm. so it fits right he goes and actually year a is matthew and i haven't been doing the cross ref but i mean my hunch is well we'll look at it maybe later because he makes a a reference to this yes passage this. when he goes back up to galilee right hence it's the galilee in verse I see. So it's that Galilee reference at the end of verse one in the Septuagint verse. Although the versification isn't from the Septuagint, just the chap. Like they didn't do verse number them back then. They right, made, right, they weren't right. already versed. It's right. The chap, but chapter distinctions were up and running pretty early, right? Um, um, but not it, consistent later. Yeah, the chapter distinctions come in a little bit later. Like, it's post post New Testament, but they're right. not. They're like. Uh, what fourth fifth century they start experimenting right. with those, but not there's not uh they're not locked not uh, until yeah the mi- medieval period right but, and uh, the versification isn't until right. early modern right so that's very helpful so so it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's not so much that like a chapter break affected the reading of that Matthew had of Christ's life, but rather the other way around the reading of Christ's life. And since the Septuagint became the, although it began as a Jewish translation, 
Correct. In well, as ish, yeah. according to legend. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, commissioned right. by Ptolemy. So, gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. But it was used by all kind uh, by diaspora Jews Greek speaking Jews. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah, right. It wasn't an exclusively Christian document, though it became that later. Is that right. kind of accurate? Mm-hmm. Um, so within a few centuries, it's kind of the definitive Old Testament for a lot of for the Eastern Church. Correct. And so then the reading of the text is affecting the way the chapter breaks kick in. Absolutely. I see. Okay. But it wasn't like the Masoretic text had its chapter breaks and they changed them. It's that there weren't chapter breaks. Correct. And they were being slowly added and these were independent traditions and so they made different judgment calls. Right. Oh my goodness. That's so fascinating. Yeah. So the judgment call can be up to the uh, interpreter. But yeah. But it's, any, like, it's like the Jewish interpreters didn't also have... Any good judgment <laughs> will take into account what comes before right? and what comes after. So that's important to keep in mind. Yeah, the chapter breaks Don't are lose. ultimately arbitrary. Right. Wherever you stick it, you should look at the before and the after. That's good contextual reading. Absolutely. Having said that, it's hard to not be affected by chapter breaks. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> in terms of just like um, for everyday reading. But that's uh, where we can yeah. resist what that's we exactly. see. For what is present. There you go. Nice, nice, nice. Well, I sometimes tell my my uh, high school students to like they'll have a heading on one of their of a uh, in a bio, you know a passage in the Bible. But yeah, just cross that out. <laughs> That's there to help you find something, but ignore it because <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's not the actual content. Yeah, which I think is beneficial to get to. Of course, a heading is yeah yeah yeah. A heading is a little easier to push back on. A chapter break to most. I mean, it's really uncommon for, I, I meet lots of people who assume those chapter breaks are original. So it's really important to highlight that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. If there's one listener who's like, I didn't know that they were not original. This was not a waste of time. But as you said, onto the content. So yeah. So uh, what's uh, what's uh, interesting to you here? What grabs your attention um, as we observe the text before us? I think there's a lot to which we can draw attention. Uh, in particular, you have the chiaroscuro uh, dimension of uh, Isaiah 8 and 9, where you have the Lord actually bringing gloom and darkness. Hmm. And um, so What's that phrase, chiaroscuro? I don't know that. Chiaroscuro? Yeah. Uh, it's the contrast of light and dark. Okay, okay. Um, so that the light stands out more or that the darkness stands out more. Oh, yeah. And so... In this particular passage, you have the darkness that is coming because of Retzen and Romalia, um, but that darkness is intended to bring gloom or or distress, mm-hmm. so that with no daybreak, with no dawn, no dawn, yeah. so that uh, the anticipation or the uh, acceptance of the dawn that the Lord is bringing will be embraced. Is it fair to say, <clears throat> I shouldn't say this now, but I'll just throw it in there. That in some ways, the structure of eight and nine is a, a little bit of a microcosm of the whole structure of the book of Isaiah in a sense. I mean, not that there isn't a bunch of light in the first half and still threats in the second half, but yeah, I think, I don't know if that, I think it helps. It depends upon what, uh, we perceive as the light mm. source being okay because 
throughout Isaiah, the light source is fire. Hmm. Uh, and even in this passage, we will see fire functioning predominantly hmm. uh, throughout the text, which, if you think of fire, produces both light and dark ash. And so uh, you get both being two sides here. of the one, two sides of one fire. Um, and we'll see as we look in the passage, the uh, burning that is going to take place. Yeah. Let's, let's even take a look at that right now. Where's, uh, where's some of the burning themes? Yeah. Um, so, well, if you look at earlier in Isaiah, put it contextual. Yeah. Um, you have a, a burning that is going to take place um, as the Lord ignites this land and uh, destroys it in fire. Interestingly enough, uh, Ahaz is depicted as um, being on the road to the washer's field <laughs> and ignoring the uh, calls to wash that occur earlier in Isaiah. And so when those calls to wash are ignored, what happens is what happens to Isaiah's mouth. He gets hmm. burned. Hmm. The burning is a purification. It, it's not necessary for someone who has uh, uncleanness to get burned. Hmm. You could wash. Uh, but the people are resisting the washing. And so what comes So we have to burning. use the alternative form. The okay. alternative form of purification. So you see this right in the passage after, if we're talking about context, mm -hmm. where the fire is burned, will be for a burning um, in verse uh, five or four. Right, depending on, right. We'll just say, <clears throat> let's go with uh, um, MT slash LXX as our, Perfect. how's that? So sounds good. So you'll say so that would be five uh, LXX. Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, and you can also just slashy if you want. Five slash four. You know what I mean? Right. Depending on which you got. I was just saying which one to say first. We'll give primacy to the Hebrew. Hebrew heferatas. Right? <laughs> so then okay. you get uh, uh, the burning that's going to come later in chapter nine as Ephraim uh is going to ah i see receive the burning from resin um and that type of burning is actually what the lord wants it is going to be bring a light to those who are in darkness and the darkness is um is deep it is without a dawn and that's why the lord wants no dawn right mm. Because the fire brings the light. Yeah, okay. Not the sunlight. Yeah. So it's not all, it's not a simple darkness, bad, light, good. It's a lot more complex than that. Very complex. Okay. Yeah, so towards the end, you know, already wickedness has blazed forth like a fire, mm. right? Devouring thorn and thistle. This is towards the end of nine. Yes. Uh, 17 in the Masoretic. It has kindled thickets of wood, which have turned into billowing smoke. Um, and proceeds from there, right? The people become like a devouring fire. So a couple quick questions, just Hebrew questions for you. Sure. Um, the language of um, anger, ire, wrath, uh, there's a couple more, zeal. These these terms in, in the sort of Greek world that I know better <laughs> are all heat, fire, 
imagery, right? The, 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 they're, they're, yes. they're not imagery. They're, they're, I mean, they can be imagery, but they're, they're cognates. They're often rooted right. in the same language. Is that also true in Hebrew language or no? It is. Or, okay. To I was be, guessing. To become about... angry in Hebrew is to grow hot in the nose. Okay. Hot in the nose. Okay. I was, yes. I was trying to remember, but that, that's, uh, I don't know if that's a, a, actually a common anthropological feature of the sort of heat goes with anger. I, I don't know if in that's, context, I don't know, but, yeah. but at least in uh, Hebrew and Greek, that's the case. But you also have the, uh, the zealous burning with passion, right? Right, right. Feeling on fire. Like you have to move, you have to act. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that core idea in up. Thumos in Greek right? that can be translated as, you know, ire, indignation, anger, Mm -hmm. uh, desire actually, mm -hmm. uh, passion is lots of words, for, you know, there's lots of ways of translating the context determines, but, uh, so that same kind of cognate uh, plays out in Hebrew. How about Absolutely. like devouring and consuming? Yeah. Which devouring. are eating language. Are those also used? They're used for fire. For fire. Okay. That's cool. what fire does. And ironically, I just in, thought I'd check to make sure my translations weren't misleading me. Ironically <laughs> in Isaiah or nine LXX five, um, the fire is being burned. So the, the fire that is hmm. occurring is going to be burned up, which is an interesting play on words. It actually does this with the other uh, imageries or other um, verbs as well. You get boots that are supposed to be for stomping, getting stomped. Right. And then you get bloody garments being rolled in blood or garments taken in blood being rolled in blood. Oh man. So you get a similar, you get this um, play on uh, these forms of consuming someone else being consumed. Ah, yeah. And that's what uh, the, uh, the actions of the Lord will be that will enable those who have had things consumed to be restored. It takes the consuming of the consumer. Gotcha. And so in the context here in Isaiah nine, is this the, uh, punishment of unjust leaders for the sake of the community or this is where, this is where I think it's important to keep the fire imagery in mind. Okay. We can try and tame down the fire, <laughs> Okay, nice. <laughs> but fire can't be tamed. Got it. And so, so what, when this, fiery passage is coming the question that isaiah is uh kind of enveloping in the fire is are you a part of the fire are you you how are you using the fire how are mm. you embracing the fire and you could be like the leaders of ephraim that are wanting the fire to consume others but not you right or like Assyria, bringing fire right. in and destroying the northern kingdom of Israel, but yet not accepting the Lord doing it to them. And the Syria Ephraimite. Via, via Babylon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. The Syria Ephraimite coalition that wants to consume Judah, but doesn't want to be consumed by Assyria. Right. So the Lord is actually uh, providing a wide berth for this fire. Gotcha. So it's not a simple, you know, you get bad guys get punished, good guys get 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 all. Well, who are the bad? Guys? Right, exactly. Where <laughs> right, what is right, the wickedness right, right. that is burning? Right. Because perhaps we have the wickedness burning inside right. us. 
and burning out of us. Yeah. That is harming others. Yeah. It's just tricky when it's, when it's sometimes when it's specified, um, at least in later, um, portions of Isaiah, when he speaks of the injustice of the, the rich and the powerful vis-a-vis the widows and orphans yes, that are themselves, of course, bearing the brunt of the fire to come. Right. right? So in that sense, even when you have, um, you know, the very persons who were wronged, uh, become collateral damage. (laughs) But that's the thing about Isaiah, the people who have been wronged, who have had their garments taken Mm -hmm. and been bloodied, the people who have uh, been stomped down, Mm -hmm. the people who have been burnt, by the fires of others are encouraged to be babies. Okay. And not try and take back, but let the Lord do it okay. for them. Yeah. 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 Because the moment the effort goes to take it back, they I become see. the fire that has harmed them. Yeah. Yeah. This is why ultimately, even though exile might not be on the radar in nine, it fits the larger. It is it, on the radar. It is, okay. It's always on the radar, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the ever since the covenant in Deuteronomy. Yeah. It's in on a way, the radar. Exile is always on the radar in that sense as a possibility. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I, this is addressing specifically the northern kingdom, at least in the, the southern kingdom. What's that? Southern kingdom vis-a-vis the northern kingdom. Vis-a-vis. Got it. Got it. Okay. Thank you. That, that helps. That helps. That helps. That well, helps. I mean, it, it talks I get you. about I'm tracking you. Yeah. It talks about the, uh, time of Midian, right? Yeah. And in the time of Midian, you have, if it's referencing the passage in Judges regarding Gideon, mm-hmm. you have a group of soldiers who are commissioned by the Lord, but the people composing this army are not from the northern sections they're not from nebulon and zaftali and they go in they blow a trumpet the lord wins the battle they don't oh yeah nice and then they call to the land of naphtali and say all right come come and join in the spoils but they didn't join in the fighting Mm -hmm. and so there is this and there's a sense in which even the gideon's army didn't join in the fight yeah it was the lord who did the fighting and they joined in the spoils that's what the lord wants here as well where neither one is, even though they're marshalling the the troops, neither one is uh, fighting, but letting the Lord do it like a child. Yeah, lets a parent take care of the the child. Yeah. So, so verse three slash four, um, utterly crucial that the yoke that's been born in the stick on their back the rod of the taskmaster the lord breaks it's not even the language of breaking is helpful it's not the rod of the taskmaster has been taken from the taskmaster and given to you right to flip around rather it's rather rather, snapping of the rod and i think it's important that uh it's the the wooden yoke it's the wooden staff it's the wooden rod these are all fire mm. fuel right right that are being broken um but Whew, man he's a good writer <laughs> sorry, it go is ahead. a good writer <laughs> it is beautiful poetry yeah, yeah. sorry go ahead but when you get later into the the child that that will occur what's placed 
on his shoulders because the in verse three or in sorry verse three slash four it's the staff that's on the shoulder of the oppressor Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. but in when you get to uh verse six slash five uh it's the government that is on his shoulder yeah right so there's a different thing placed upon the shoulder i didn't catch the shoulder thing yeah now i see it you say it oh that's so good not the staff which is if you think about shepherding or even uh, ruling imagery, mm-hmm. you have a staff to pull people back towards you, mm-hmm. but you have a rod to enact discipline or to fight off invaders. Right. So this is what's being broken and instead placed upon this baby's shoulders is a government, uh, a, a government of justice, right? Um, as the increase of the ju- government and peace, there will be no end. So this is an, an everlasting justice and righteousness that is placed on the shoulder. This is the enthronement of humility, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not the be humble so you'll get enthroned later, right? It's enthroned precisely in and as and one is humble. One of the features of Isaiah, if we're looking at uh, Isaiah in its larger context, is even in chapter 8 before, Isaiah is communicating, I and the children the Lord has given me are mm. signs for you. Why would a baby be a sign? Mm. Well, a baby doesn't have any possessions. Right. A baby doesn't have any reputation or identity. So the identity is given to the baby. Yeah, totally dependent. Has and Isaiah no plays Isaiah plays with naming babies, uh, naming children with an identity given by God. And in this instance, he has been named, right? There is the naming, so this is an identity from God to someone who has no possessions, has no reputation, has no identity, and God gives it. That's what God wants for the people of Israel and Judah. The people in this, so this area. This is the liberation of the oppressed, but not by way of them just becoming oppressors again. Like right. that's built into the, nor the by, structure of justice. Nor by having that as an identity feature. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am I? not I'm the oppressed. I am not that's identified. A identity. That's a resentment right. identity. I am not identified as an oppressed yep. or as an oppressor. As a child. The removal of the identities allows the identity of I am a testimony of God's might and power. I am a testimony of God's everlasting care. I am a testimony of God's counseling that might seem strange, but is actually wonderful. I am. That's why exile is essential. It it, it resets the, the recycle, all identities. Right. And where the identity is now in God, no longer in possessions, no longer in power, no longer in staffs or rods. It is completely in God's actions. Now that's the dawn and fire. Yeah, that the right. Lord wants. <laughs> yeah, man, that's good. Oh, that's really good. That's really good. Really clear. I want to let's take a break and then come back and uh, see what other avenues we want to take. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text here with. Uh, 
Daniel Freemeyer, DJ Freemeyer, as you've been going, right? Right. <laughs> My hope is to uh, to play the biblical text. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Let that be my instrument. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, <clears throat> and we're looking at Isaiah uh, chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 4, but a little bit before and after, and, you know, there was some complications with the uh, versification anyway. Um, so, and, and I mentioned uh, before the um, at the earlier in our conversation that the um, that this text, since it comes from the uh, revised common lectionary, uh, may have been selected because of a reference that appears in Matthew. So this is for the third Sunday after the Epiphany, and the reading is from Matthew because we're in year A, and the reading it goes like this. Just to throw this in to have some fun with it. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Of course. So that what has been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And then one more line. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is drawing near or has drawn near. A message echoing Isaiah. Yeah. Bring about the fruits of repentance. Ah, yeah. That is the voice that is calling out, even in the wilderness bring about that repentance. And it is when that voice uh, is silenced or tried to be contained, which you can't really contain that fiery voice of John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. But when uh, that effort is made to contain him, um, that is the moment in which Jesus goes to Naphtali and Zebulun and brings about the same dawning that, yeah. Isaiah's warning. Which means a fire that is dangerous, that is that is uh, bringing judgment on Pharisees and scribes, but purifying also purifying, cleansing. Everything in its path. Right. right. And there's a healing that yeah. happens through that cleansing. Right. The casting out of unclean spirits. Um, that type of wickedness is burned up. Yeah. Uh, even when it's present amongst the people of God, that type of burning is consuming all of the uh, spirits that may be silencing, that may be harming, that may be blinding the people, mm-hmm. just as Isaiah was describing and is a part of Isaiah's commissioning. The same commissioning is true of Jesus, where he is doing the same thing. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. It suddenly occurs to me, and we're not we don't have to get in the weeds of Matthew interpretation, but it's it's striking that a number, not all, but a number of the quotes, the uh, citations of uh, prophets that occur in the early chapters of Matthew that are unique to Matthew um, are at uh, relocations mm-hmm. in a way that didn't yes. occur to me till just now. It's so obvious now that I think of it, right? Right. 
And that's why some of them can feel a little random at first glance, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. out of Egypt, out I of called Egypt. my son. That's a relocation. Yeah. Where Jesus embodies the relocation Hosea is calling for. Yeah. Which is both a looking back at the coming out of Egypt, but also a looking forward, forward to, the to coming exile out of and Egypt. to the, right. Because part of the exile is in Egypt. Right. So the coming out of Egypt again, and then Jesus coming, coming out, out of, of Egypt, Egypt again. Yeah. So it's these thematic... And then you get another one here, this this heading out. And interestingly, the light imagery is so even as resonance is over with the Gospel of John, who speaks of Jesus and John in chapter seven or eight, speaks of um John being a light that burned brightly and you all weren't basked in its glow until yes, until it started burning. Yeah, yeah right, 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 and right. You didn't like it so much because it wasn't un- it it was unpleasant. And you didn't, you, you may have snuffed out that particular wick, but you didn't snuff out the light because it right. had already caught flame in me, in Jesus. Right. And spread north. And oh, the wow. spread north is what um, Isaiah, Isaiah is hoping will happen because uh, Assyria is going to be ending the Syria Ephraimite uh, coalition. And part of that end is that Ephraim gets burnt to the yeah. ground. Samaria gets burnt to the and ground. Quite literally. Yeah. Reduced to ash. They are sitting in gloom and darkness. Quite literally. Mm-hmm. A number of those people move south towards Judah looking for mm-hmm. some sort of light. And the light that dawns is someone who is from the descendant of David who has been born during the time period Isaiah is discussing and who places trust completely in God to deliver. Hezekiah brings the light Hmm. that is lacking, but Hezekiah also brings the fire that is going to purify these Northern Israelite refugees who have come down so that when they return, they take that light with them. A reminder that the Lord can deliver even from Sennacherib and the army that has surrounded Jerusalem. God miraculously delivers them. And that light of trusting God to deliver can spread north, just as Jesus takes it north. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting as well. Zebulun and Naphtali. um, Naphtali uh, means to struggle or to Mm. uh, strive and... um, Naphtali is often in, involved in conflicts, and yet the light that comes is let the Lord do the struggling on your behalf, right? Oh, yeah. That's Zebulun so means to dwell or to, to reside, and yet Zebulun uh, is removed from its dwelling hmm. um, and letting – and the, the, the light that they receive is would, will you dwell where the Lord has you to dwell? And with the Lord, like a baby dwells with a parent. So each of those, the, the reason that these two tribes are, are identified mm. is because of the light, the fire that comes to both of them. One is fiery. One does not want fire to consume its dwellings. And uh, both of them. Fitting. Both of them receive a fiery light by which they can see what they didn't see before. And if you see how you can trust in God, 
either for to remake your identity or to take away your possessions and give you exactly what you need, not what you want to have. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to embrace each of those, then that trust in God, like a baby has a trust in a parent, that trust is what can enable you to once again dwell and to and to work and strive for the Lord. On those who dwelt in a land of gloom, light has dawned, like the light of a fire that by the way punishes, of the sea purifies. It's right by the sea, and yeah. once again you get could have just hopped in and could have hopped <laughs> into the water. Both of them. When you're yeah. on fire, isn't that what you want? Yeah. As a personal story, um, yeah. I, uh, as a pastor, was uh, hosting a, a bonfire for my congregation, and um, while it was struggling to be lit, I went to get more firewood to light the fire so that we could have this bonfire. And when I came back and lit it, it exploded. Oh, so I jumped and rolled on the ground and came up and felt like I was still on fire uh-huh. and couldn't figure out why. And my wife being the wise person that she was said, go up and wash, go to the water. Yeah. So I went there and as I washed, uh, steam started coming off because I was still on fire. Ugh. And I found out later that the uh, uh, another person had tried to help light the fire and had poured on ether that burns clear because <gasps> you can't see the oh. flame. So I was still burning and I got second degree burns because of this, but wow. it stopped because of the water. Right. The water's right there. Naphtali and Zebulun are right by the yeah. Sea of Galilee. They can have that water purify them, but yet the resistance to the light that the Lord is bringing actually brings about the fiery consumption. It makes it worse. It makes it worse. They could have jumped in at any point. Wow. Was there a pond nearby, but you went all the way to a shower? (laughs) There was actually a pond nearby. So it's actually That's perfect. Perfect. Because it's not, I was going to tell, I'll still tell my story. It's not about fire, sadly, but it perfectly fits this kind of thing you're mentioning. My father, when he was a kid, got, for whatever reason, I don't know if, if, if he, uh, did something to disrupt them or other kids did or whatever, but got attacked by all these bees. Mm. So hornets or bees, I should ask him sometime. Doesn't matter, I guess. But so he's getting stung like crazy and he runs home screaming. Right. And he remembers his father like rolling up a newspaper and whacking them all off of him, Right. And a, that already fits the kind of the pain, but gets it off. Right. Yeah. He's burning. He always tells the story perfectly. He's like, but the fact was, is I was sitting on a bench under a tree, four feet from a pond. <laughs> All I had to do was jump in. Right. And that perfectly fits this, uh, <laughs> right? This kind of, there is this kind of, which actually fits the season of Epiphany in the baptism language of yes. the, previous, the previous weeks of the, the text in the text. That type yeah. of purification and cleansing. Yeah. With the washing, the immersion of baptism. You can accept that, which Jesus does, rather than the burning that's going to happen from having your homes destroyed, from having uh, the the travel through the desert, all of that. And what does John the baptizer say? I baptize with water, 
one who's coming after me baptizes with Holy Spirit and fire. And, fire. <laughs> and that language now all of a sudden makes a lot more sense to me in the Isaiahic kind of imagery. And that quote from that Matthew makes is like, sometimes those quotes can feel at first glance with no insult to Matthew, but I'm just talking about for ignorant people like me who don't read their, their Bible enough. Right. (laughs) Those quotes can feel like he just thought of a passage that had the word Galilee in it. Right. Like at at glance, right. It's this catchphrase exegesis. Well, but that's only the surface, right. When you pay attention, like you were saying, it's an thematic, it's an invoking of the whole narrative of eight and nine and the whole narrative of eight and nine actually almost perfectly fit. That's the story of John and Jesus and the handing off from one to the other. Right. And the moving north. It all fits. It fits. He is from David. And yet he. It especially fits because um, during the time period in which the Assyrians come through and burn to the ground, this area, this area in northern Israel becomes filled with Gentiles. Yeah. Okay. The same thing. That's Galilee of the nations or Gentiles. Yeah. The nations are living there. And yet the light can come to the nations as well, which is what Isaiah hopes that the, that, uh, Israel will be a light to the nations. And light to the nations are already happening at the beginning of Christ's story. It's not, doesn't have to wait for the Great Commission in Acts in a sense. Even it's before God. Exactly. The, the gospel's narratives as well, because yeah. the people of Israel were supposed to be a light to the nations. Right. <laughs> Isaiah is prophesying to the nations saying, look what exactly. you could have offered to the nations. But now the nations like Egypt and Assyria, they're actually offering you insights because you're not offering it to them. Right. You got you it were, backwards. You got it backwards. You were supposed to offer the fire. You were made into a child and then you went and tried to identify yourself with another yes. parent. Yes. Assyria, Egypt, etc. Okay. And they are actually pointing out that you've abandoned your parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Assyria and Egypt are pointing that out to you. You should be pointing that out to them. So this desire to be a light to the nations, well, Israel is going to be. But the question is, are they going to? hand off the fire or are they going to be on fire to light up the nations? Ah, yeah. And at this point they are choosing to be on fire. (sighs) Jesus makes the same offer because Mm -hmm. during his time period, it is also filled with Gentiles. And yet in Matthew, you notice the disciples are not offering the fire to the Gentiles. The Canaanite woman, yeah. not heard by the disciples. They want her to go away. Right. And Jesus is waiting for them to offer the light to her. Purposefully not speaking so that they can offer the light to her. Mm-hmm. And they don't. They refuse. So at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore... While you're going, make authority disciples. Authority on his shoulders. Going yes. on his shoulders. It's that the authority language. has been given to him just like it was given to Hezekiah. That same authority that he wears on his shoulders is given to them to go and be that light to the to nations. To be a light to the nations. Not only in Galilee, but to the ends of the earth. Jesus yeah. models it by being a light to the, the nations that are present in Galilee. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, this has been so great. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back and do some sermon starters. Sound good? Sounds good. (laughs) 
And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. My guest today is DJ Freemeyer, and we are looking at Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 4 in the Septuagint versification, uh, which would be uh, common in most uh, English translations for now. Uh, yeah, so let's explore some sermon starters. Where might we go? Obviously, we've laid out a bunch of themes, and a lot of those could come back in. We don't have to. We can just cite them if we want. But yeah. if you were, let's say you were preaching this coming Sunday, and maybe it was a last minute, you know, ask, and you're like, you gotta, you know, where where might you go uh, in terms of a, a theme or focus or... Um, Let me share uh, personally where I would go, and then hopefully... Uh, some more generic that okay. might be Perfect. more applicable for those who are developing either sermons or teachings or discussions on this. Personally, I would go to an experience that I had. And I think experiences can lend some uh, illustrative power. And I had an experience where we had invited um, some new people that we didn't know, some strangers to our home to have a meal together and just be together. And, um, my, my son was, uh, just a few years old and we put in the center of the table, a candle to represent mm-hmm. the light, light of God. And that was, um, probably a mistake because <laughs> my, as you can imagine, my little son goes up and starts playing with the fire and gets burned. Mm-hmm. So here I am if, with this group of people that I do not know looking like a horrible parent for having <laughs> let my, my child burn himself. Yeah. Um, that, that action that he took to burn himself actually has stuck with him mm. as a reminder of the dangers of letting a fire get out of control and it stuck with me too. Yeah. Be careful where uh, you allow the fire to rage. Yeah. And what fire you allow to be present. Because if you are allowing a fire that, um, to burn inside of you for something that is not pure, not worthwhile, not going to last, the fire can consume it. And mm. you might find yourself and your affections, uh, with second degree burns. <laughs> yeah. In pain and agony because of what you've allowed to rage within you. So I offer it as my experience as a, as a word of caution. And I think that is the spirit of Isaiah. Be cautious about what you're going to let your fire move you to do. If you're letting the fire burn others, <sighs> be careful because that fire can come back on you. If you're letting your fire pursue wealth or possessions or identity or reputation, be careful because that fire can come back and burn you. And Paul puts it this way, uh, when the fire comes, what will be burned up hmm. and what will be purified? Right. Because if you have within your life... The ephemeral things are burned up. The things that don't last... Yeah then they're going to be burned up. But if you have the precious gold and the precious metal, that will be refined. So allow that light to come instead of trying to tame down a passage like this. Right. Let the fire rage so that God can purify those who are hearing the words. However, God wants to purify. 
and start with you. Yeah. <laughs> Let your identity be in God's purification, in God's mighty acts. And let that be the counsel that you offer to others. So that's why I think experiences, sharing your experiences of when God has purified you is a great way to go. Mm -hmm. Or the experiences of when God has led you to trust in nothing and no one else other than God. Yeah. And you were forced to trust solely in God. That becomes your identity that you then offer to the nations, to any of your congregants. Mm -hmm. the scariest thing for uh, a flock is fire. Yeah. Because when that fire gets closer to you and you are out of real estate, you are in dire straits, you're vulnerable and you have no, no out. You cannot run through the fire without getting burned. But what we do have is an example like Isaiah where a parent picks up a child and says, let's go through the fire together. Yeah. And when I'm in the fire, I'll be with you. Yeah. And I won't let it consume you completely. I wish I had done that for my son. <laughs> yeah. Right. Take you out of here. Right. Yeah. That, that vulnerability, that invitation to, uh, utter dependence on God that showed up in our conversation today really resonated with me and helps me see Else we kind of enter into the experience of this text in a kind of deeper way. Especially, I mean, I feel like there's a sermon, and I may not have enough here to, this is a sort of thought uh, for our listeners to run with if they want. But the, I could see a sermon, I could see myself developing a sermon around the theme of resentment on, on two levels. I mean, I I can't help but think of the, the Greek word for resentment. It's, 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 uh, Manesa Kakion. It's remember, remember, remembering or recollecting evil that has been done. Yeah. Right. That kind of dwelling. And there's this, there's this great quote. Dwelling actually. and striving with it as Zebulun and Naphtali do. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. There's this great, let me see if I can find it. Cause the book's right here and on my shelf, on my shelf. And now in my hand, as I say that, um, this beautiful little quote, if I can't find it quickly, I won't bother, but yeah, here it is. The one who binds memory of injury to his soul is like one hiding fire in chaff. Right? Mm. And, and, and Manesa Kaki on the, 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 the memory of injury or, or resentment, it could be translated, um, is, uh, us to the, that's, that's a, that's from Evagoras of Pontus, Ponticus, uh, uh, Desert Father. And for the Desert Fathers, the, the, um, Resentment is a sort of species of, of ire, of anger, of wrath, orge. It has lots of aspects, right? It's not always, uh, and resentment we think of more as a kind of small smoldering kind of fire rather than a big, right? <laughs> but uh, then it, it comes out. Yeah. Well, it comes out, but it, it can, resentment can, because it tends to be extended over time, it can smolder and then explode. Right. Right. Um, and part of its explosiveness is the, this long smoldering, that precedes it and it's buriedness. Hmm. Hence the imagery of burying it in, in chaff. It's like that. The, the worst place to hide your remember your, your resentment is in your soul. Cause it'll just, <laughs> because you know, it light up smolders like it, it, what uh, resin is called in, in Isaiah, right. the smoldering fire. But that's what I was thinking of from the previous chapter. It just continued to burn because of that 
I've been wronged. Yeah. And I need to set it right. I need and that's, to. That's why it connects with this passage is verse, verse uh, three slash four, um, that the breaking of the rod and the invitation to those who have um, and notice resentment, even though the Greek word is helpful, the remembrance of evil. It was actually, I was wronged, yeah. right? It's that it's, you don't overcome resentment by realizing that they actually didn't do anything wrong. It's actually saying they did the wrong, but it's not for me to seize the power to make it right. I need to be uh, vulnerable and dependent before God and let God make things right in his way and in his timing. And just to bring yeah, this to go ahead, please. A, a personal, uh, uh, Example in this passage, please. Isaiah, I'm embarrassed by all of mine because because I'm still resentful and I'm just a resentful person. <laughs> Isaiah is uh, is is prophesying in Judah, mm. and if you remember this, the Northern Kingdom of Israel came down to yeah, destroy Judah. Exactly. Yeah. So he is to calling in a previous passage, not calling t- for the people of Jerusalem and Judah to be a light to the people who have attacked them. Yeah. Right? The northern kingdom has attacked them. The northern kingdom is now going to get burned. So be a light to them. Yes. Don't. And a sense of righteous resentment is, is yes. precisely what would would be one of the temptations to resist. Mm. What gets in the way of being a light to the nations? Right. And it's these kind of resentments against those who've wronged us. I which, think that really gets in the way. Which Gideon would have done with Midian. Yep. It had that sense of wronging and could have let the fire rage out or how the disciples felt about (laughs) and jesus as well how jesus gets burned by everyone jesus comes in contact and yeah doesn't let that resentment build up so i think that's a beautiful depiction and where is the resentment found in our lives or in our the people who will be hearing our sermon or teaching, where is that resentment and how do we make sure that it's not burning, smoldering continually, but we allow that baby trust to be present. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that still leaves the, if I were to develop that sermon some more, I'd, I'd want to do some reflecting on what are some practices for releasing resentment Part of the um, part of the desire to, um, or part of the aspect of resentment is that if you could set it right, you could have joy, mm. right? You could have your joy restored. Mm. And in the passage, one part that we haven't talked about yeah. is you um, multiplied the nation. You did not make greater its joy. Is one of the we didn't get into that textual ah, yes. issue, or you did make great. You certainly made great the joy for the person, but they had joy before you, like the joy of the harvest, like when you celebrate as you divide the spoils. Mm-hmm. So that type of joy is what you want. You want the spoils to come back, what yeah. was taken away to come back. But that type of joy isn't something that they are obtaining. It is something uh, given by the Lord, okay. even in the midst of not dividing the spoils, even in the midst of not having regained what they lost. That type of joy is what's present at the end of the sermon or at the end of the teaching. If you are communicating yeah. the text, God can bring that type of joy where the resentment is gone and joy is in its place. 
even without having acted on the resentment. Yeah. The true joy and recognizing that in point of fact, and there you could, there's personal stories you could tell to this effect that, um, you know, when you, when you execute justice, you know, uh, it actually leaves you empty and it doesn't mm-hmm. bring joy. Right. Right. Or if anything, it's a passing false joy of Schadenfreude, right? Like kind of just enjoying the suffering <laughs> uh, of others passing. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't help. Because you know? joy is something given by God. Yeah, exactly. So recognize the joy as a gift. And it is uh, evidence that the spirit has been present because when you have given up the resentment, the spirit can fill you with joy. Yeah. Well, this has been a good conversation. Did you say you had, did you have any more? You said you had some general things. You you already said some, but were there, you said, you had, yeah, the, personally where you'd go and then you had some general comments. Were the, there more of those? I didn't want to leave you. The general comments were going to be in regards to where do we find our identity? Mm. What do we want to, what type of spoils do we want to obtain? Those two questions can drive a, a return to <clears throat> being a baby and a child of God. And that is joyful in and of itself because you have God as your parents taking care of you. That is great joy. And so my general comments, we're going to be pushing towards one or two of those questions. Where do I find my identity and how can I find my identity solely in God? What am I trying to, what spoils am I going after and how do I let God give me the inheritance God wants, which is yep. the joy in this instance, a the light and inheritance. Yes. Versus fame and spoils. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and, it, and that actually would link right back. If someone wanted to do the resentment theme, I mean, it fits right in because it's precisely what is it that generates resentment? What is the evil that's been done to me that hurts deep that I carry it? Cause it isn't just any general it, pains inflicted all the time. And you move on, right? Like I don't have resentment against, some, you know, someone who, uh, took a little long at a line, you know, and I got impatient. I, I, it doesn't last though. It doesn't, it's, it tends to be the people I have relationships with. Right. Mm. So it hurts deeper because there was a threat to my identity. Right. Mm. Or someone took away my stuff. Right. 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 Um, which again, the, the, the minor inconveniences of life sometimes can, can, uh, disrupt that as well. Or be expressions of what we're feeling elsewhere. Right, right, right. But they, they tend to last a lot longer. The resentments do with the, uh, um, those we have some kind of covenantal relationship with of some kind. And, and but it can be taken out on others. Exactly. We're not resenting. Exactly. Absolutely. What Ahaz does with his own people. Exactly. Exactly. Or what Gideon's children end up doing. But those are other stories that you can. Right. Delve and but like research. a child who who has no memory of injury has no memory of anything but the, simply the, and no possessions. Yep, simply the dependence on God who gives the name and the inheritance, right. rather than grasping at, um, you know, grasping at fire, glory, right? <laughs> grasping at the glory and the spoils that will end up just burning you up. Right. Yeah, yeah, grasping at fire. Woo. That's good stuff, man. Thanks so much for giving an hour to me and to the text and to the Lord and to our listeners. Well, may God add light yes. to the hearing of the word. Yeah. So thanks to all our listeners as always. Thanks to Eric and Todd for the great production work. And thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music.
And with that said, we have... And may I offer oh, thanks please. to God, who is our wonderful counselor, and <laughs> everlasting father, and prince of prince peace. Prince of peace. And the mighty God. Yeah. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Let us bless the Lord. Have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>